the fact that you are Hosanna, that you are sitting on the throne, that you are our righteous Redeemer, that God, you have made us in your image as a result of the fact that we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your Son. We believe that he died on the cross offering us or paying for our sins. We believe that he rose again offering us life and life more abundantly. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be continuing our Money Matters series. I'm going to give you, I'm, I'm into, like, I like drawing stuff out. I'm not a good artist, but I like drawing stuff out. So we're going to try and, and point out a couple of things uh, as we dig into Matthew chapter 6. And I want to ask you this question. You can raise your hand if you want to. How many of you have ever made a mistake with money? <laughs> Good, because I think everybody has at some point or another, in some way, shape, or form, you in the past and I in the past have made a mistake with money. Maybe it was a decision to invest in a certain circumstance or maybe even an individual. Maybe you loaned somebody money expecting to get it back and you never got it back. Maybe you're a person who would say, you know, one of my mistakes was I was given money and I never paid back somebody. Matter of fact, maybe in the past, maybe you've suffered from bankruptcy. Maybe you've suffered from not giving when you know maybe you should have gone and and gave. Maybe you suffer from overspending. You know what I'm talking about, right? The fact that you spent more than you took in. And when you spend more than you take in, that creates a situation we call what? Debt. And debt is a problem, all right? But I want to get to the heart of the matter. And when we talk about money matters, we said last week that money matters because Of what? Do you guys remember? Money matters because it reflects who is sitting on my throne. Our attitude towards money reflects the nature of our heart and it reveals whose we are. All right? So money matters because it reflects our heart or the nature of our heart and whose we are. Okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. And maybe you feel like that. Maybe if I had more money, I would give more. Maybe you're, maybe you're a person who would say that. If I had more money, I would give more. You know, I would do things for people. But the reality of the matter is this. Usually when we get more money, what do we do? We spend more money. And I remember a long time ago reading a book that my parents gave me. Matter of fact, uh, it, it's one that they gave me when I graduated high school. And it was the, called The Christian's Guide to Worry-Free Money Management. And my parents taught me well how to, how to use money. But at the same time, when I got this book, I'm, I, like, I was 18 years old, I'm going into the Navy, and I remember reading this book, and I did, I read it, I made notes, I, I paid attention to it, but I remember thinking this, well, I don't have this money to do this now. I, I don't have the money to do this now. You realize I'm trying to get my life started. I don't have the money to do what this book is talking about. And maybe you're in that circumstance or situation. You'd say, you know what? I I don't have the money to do what you're going to talk about. But I think we're going to jump into, as we jump into Matthew chapter 6, and we look at this more, I want you to understand Ecclesiastes 5 even more. Whoever loves money never has enough money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And the truth of the matter is, the more we make, the more we tend to spend. And it, the, the problem with that is this, it shows whose we are. It shows who or what owns us. It shows what the priority is in our 
life. And as we jump into Matthew chapter 6, I want to give you this. I said a little bit of it last week, but did you know that 16 of Jesus' 38 parables deal with money? (laughs) 38 parables, 16 deal with money. Why? I think that's a good question, right? A viable, meaningful question. Why did 16 of Jesus' 38 parables deal with money? And here's the reason I believe why. It's because he understood the power of the human heart. He knew that hum- how the human heart would relate. He knew how the human heart would struggle with money being an issue. And so as we look at money, I want to challenge you with this. And I told you last week, and I'm going to stand by this today, my goal in this money series is not to beat you up. If you feel beat up, I hope it's because the Holy Spirit is convicting you of situations or circumstances in your life that you realize, I have stepped out of bounds. I haven't been obedient. I haven't followed what God wants me to do. My goal in this Money Matters series is this, that you would experience what it means to have true financial freedom to be truly free financially. Jesus came to die on the cross so that we might be free, not just spiritually, but I believe physically as well, that we could experience life and life more abundantly. And Jesus' death on the cross, in the very words with which he speaks, where he says, I paid for your sins, and I am your righteousness, and you can do nothing good, that you can only do good through through me and, and in me, are all true. But when Jesus also speaks about money, that means that he understands the role that money plays in our life. And what I would venture to say is this, the reason why money is oftentimes a serious factor, especially when a pastor starts talking about, about it, is this. Money sits on our throne. And Jesus is off to the side, kind of like the joker. And I'll call on the joker when I need a laugh or when I need that help. But otherwise, you're not on my throne. And so in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, we're continuing. I'm going to read what we went over last week. And then we're going to continue on through verse 34. All right? Listen to what he says. Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. All right? So, where our treasure is, where we pour things into, that's going to show us where our heart is. And you can ask yourself that. I'm not going to put on a guilt trip. We're going to jump down to uh, verse 24. And this is where we're going to pick up today. No one can serve two what? Masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says this, you cannot serve both God and money. Here's the reason why. Money becomes a master in our life because we do anything and everything it takes oftentimes to get it, including what we'll call stealing from God. So you cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? 
And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Listen to verse 32. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, the reason why the Bible says so much about money, I believe, has nothing to do with money and everything to do with our devotion. It has everything to do with what you are devoted to, what you and I may put into the primary place. See, for too long, we have pretended that Christians have no financial problems when the reality is Christians are in just as much jeopardy and financial problems as non-Christians. And the problem with that is this. We approach money from a worldly view in everything that we do instead of approaching money from a godly view and looking at the way God says about money, we say, hey, I'm going to do things exactly the way the world does and the way the world is doing it is broke. Matter of fact, next week I'm going to give you, I read a great article in the Kansas City Star about this. Did you know that the average person in America has less than $114 in savings. Over 67% of America has less than $114 in savings. Now, if that's not you, guess what? You're in the top 33%. Give yourself a pat on the back, a clap, whatever you want to call it. All right, yeah. So when I read that article, it blew my mind. And the problem with that is this, it didn't matter the income level with which the individuals made the money. It was rampant across the board. People who made less than $50,000, less than $114. People who made more than $100,000, less than $114 in savings. Blew my mind. And look, I know the Kansas City Star is not the Bible, all right, but I think it's pretty accurate to say, hey, this guy was quoting some big national research institutes and things like that. See, I want to take a journey so that we can experience financial health and financial freedom because we want, I want to help you and myself experience God's design, not just for you, but for your finances. And so we have to begin to think about this because God's chief competition for your heart and I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus covered it so much. God's chief competition for your heart is money, stuff, possessions, things that we begin to own. And so if you remember anything, I want you to remember this. Faithful managers or stewards, as we looked at last week, faithful managers must be obedient to what God wants us to do with what he has given us. We must be obedient to what God wants to do with what God has given us. So today my goal, or, or over the next 20 or 30 minutes, my goal is for you to see a number of things, but I want you to focus on three main words, all right? Three words we're going to learn, three words we're going to give you, three words that are so stinking basic you can be like, this is stupid, but at the same time, three words that most people will not put into practice. And I'm going to even say this, 
I believe the problem with most people's money is not knowledge, but behavior. It's not knowledge, it's behavior. A matter of fact, I read, uh, uh, what's his name? Dave Ramsey made a statement that most of the financial problems, or if you want to be financially smart, you want to be financially free, it's 80% behavior and 20% knowledge. And I think that's the reality of where we're at. So if 80% of it is based upon behavior and 20% of it is based upon knowledge, there's a big difference here. That means it's just, I just need a little bit of knowledge to make a wiser decision, correct? And so what I want to give you today is this. I want to give you very simple, very basic things that will help you succeed to be financially free. When you and I are financially free, we are slaves to nobody. And when you are a slave to nobody except Jesus Christ, then you can accomplish exactly what it is that Jesus wants you to do. I was with, I think it was Jason or somebody, I can't remember the other day, and I said, if money was no object... If money was no object, what would you do with your life? Because a lot of times we go, well, money is an object. That's the first thing. Well, y'all, you're throwing out a perfect, no, 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 no. That's the problem. If money was no object, what would you do with your life? I've heard people say, well, I'd go overseas and go on missions. If I, had, if I just won a million dollars, I would give more to my church. If, if I was a professional baseball player, like I joked about last week, you know, loving to have Albert Pujols come to our church, don't get me wrong, $2.6 million off a $26 million salary would be beautiful. But the reality of it is this. If we were just faithful with what we have, we would experience true freedom. If we were faithful with what we have, we would experience true freedom. The problem is, we oftentimes let the behavior be the 20%, and we think it's all about the knowledge being the 80%. Well, I can't be financially successful. Why? I just don't have the knowledge. I hope that you will experience this today, that you begin to see what takes place. So faithful managers must be obedient to what God wants us to do with what he has given us. So how can we, or how can you, how can I experience financial freedom? Number one is this. I believe that we must serve God first. Listen to what he says. No one can serve two masters. That, that same word, master, ruler, or Lord. You can't serve one Or you can't serve more than one. You're going to serve one or you're going to serve the other. Why? Because he literally says, you're either going to hate the one and love the other, or you're going to serve the one and not serve the other. Anybody work for a person that maybe there were two bosses and one boss was cool and one boss was not cool? I'll use this example. When I was in the military, in the Navy, there was the cool dude that was the CO. And I remember the XO at one point telling I don't even remember how this conversation got brought up, but the EXO, the executive officer, second highest ranking officer on the ship, he said, my job, and he said it in a completely different way, my job is to be a jerk. My job is to enforce all the rules that the captain lays down so that the captain can be the guy that everybody looks up to, has a great relationship with, so he can lead the ship. My job, I'm the jerk. The reality of the matter is this. Most of the people oftentimes looked at it and went, yep, that's exactly what it is. Captain, man, captain's cool. I'll follow that guy in a battle. I'll give my life for him. XO, man, that dude could fall off the ship, and I would not throw a life preserver to him if his life depended on it. 
That was the reality that most people took with that. And that's what ends up happening in the money situation. Because a lot of times what we do is we go, well, God's all of a sudden, he's, he's setting standards and stipulations that I'm not sure I really like financially. So I'm going to go and I'm going to follow the cool guy. I'm going to follow money because money lets me do whatever I want. And what I want you to see is behavior affects, our behavior affects how we spend our money. See, the first thing we have to do in in order to experience financial freedom is to serve God first. Why? Because his chief competition is money. Do I put trust in God or do I put my trust in money? Most of our attitudes toward money stem from this, greed. Most of the time, our attitude towards money stems from greed. And Andy Stanley, I quoted it this week on my Facebook if you were paying attention, but he says this, greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. Greed is the assumption that everything I have is for my consumption. When the truth of the matter is, that's not the case. And I believe this, that there is a key habit that we have to develop, a key behavior that we have to begin to understand. And that is this, that I will not be ruled or mastered by my stuff. No one can serve two masters. And then he goes on, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. And a lot of times we serve money very well. As a matter of fact, I'll even say this. Here's what happens when it comes to tithing. Well, I don't have money to tithe. Why not? Well, because I paid my car payment to Toyota. I had my house payment to Wells Fargo. I've, you know, went and had to pay off my credit card. And, and then, you know, I, I wanted to do this, so I, I went and bought this. And then and we start naming all off all those things. And what you're telling me is this. You fear Toyota, Wells Fargo, and whatever else you're given to, Chase, you know, Visa, whoever it is, you fear them more than you fear God. Because what you say when you put your money where your mouth is, is that those things are more important than my giving to God. You cannot serve both at the same time. We will follow one and we won't be following the other. We will be devoted to one and we will despise the other. This is why I think it's so huge when we start talking about giving because here's what ends up happening. The reason we begin to despise a pastor when he starts talking about money, (laughs) guess what? It's not because the pastor, what's the pastor saying? It's because it's what God is trying to show us in obedience to him. Now, for those of you, and maybe there's, there's part of you here, I want you to understand this. In three words, and I think these are three words that will have the potential to change your financial future. It's something I've been taught from the day, the day I remember. There are three words I'm going to give you. Give, save, and live. Matter of fact, when I was growing up, my mom had this envelope system. We do it with our kids right now. And everything we made, we gave the first 10%. If I got a dollar for my allowance, my mom gave me 80 cents. Well, she would give me a dollar, but she would give me a dime. And I would take that dime and I'd put it in the giving envelope. And she'd give me another dime and I'd take that dime and I'd put it in the savings envelope. And then she would give me 80 cents and that would go in the spending envelope. And I learned to give first. I learned to save next, and then I learned to live 
on the rest. And I'm going to draw this up here, just very simple so that you can see this. Big fat pie, all right? If I do this effectively to where I give 10%, the first 10%, all right? The very first thing I give, that's not in the center, so don't hold me against me. I give it. God gave it to me. I give it back. I don't even know if you can see that very well. But I give it to God first. This is my first 10%. I give that to him. The next 10%, what do I do? I save. Why do I save? Rainy day. A problem, a situation. My car breaks down. My kid gets a tooth knocked out playing baseball, right? I need a new tire because I ran over something on 435 that some idiot forgot to tie down to his truck and it caused me a problem, bent my wheel, popped my tire, what the heck, moron, what the heck is he doing? No, I saved my money. Why? So then I'm not enslaved to who? The credit card company, the person I take the loan out to fix my car. See, all of this is about financial freedom, but it's all about freedom from what? Being a slave to who or to what? The money. We become slaves to money, and I'm telling you, it's creeping into our society even more so now because we're all about a quick fix. And so when we talk about a give, save, live, I have to begin to understand that I can't serve two masters. I'm going to serve one, and I'm going to despise the other. I can't serve both God and money. And this is the the truth of the matter is this. You will experience more freedom when you understand what we would call biblical principles for finances than you've ever experienced in your life. I can promise you that. You will experience more freedom to do what you want when you follow the biblical principles God gives you than if you just do it on your own. Rick Warren said, I can do more with 90% than I could do with 100, or sorry, excuse me, God can do more with my 10% than I can do with all 100% of it. And that's the fact that we have to begin to understand. I give first, I save next, and I live on the rest. See, the key to experiencing God's blessing in finances is obedience. And before you start saying, well, hold on a second, tithing, that's an Old Testament principle. You know, the funny thing about the New Testament is it never lowered the standard. It always raised it. Remember, he says, don't commit adultery, and then Jesus comes out and goes, yeah. Well, guess what? If you look at a woman lustfully, you committed adultery. Don't murder, and Jesus comes out and goes, yeah, if you hate your brother, you've already murdered him in your heart. Jesus always raises a standard. I'm going to lay a couple of things out. Number one, Genesis chapter 14, and we looked at that a couple weeks ago, if you remember, when we were looking at, at uh, the names of God, and it's, it's the story of Abraham, or Abram and Melchizedek, and before, listen, before the law was ever given, what does Abraham give? A tithe. So it's not based upon the law. Giving a tenth is not based upon the law. It is a principle with which God understands and God knows that the key to our heart is this, that we're not greedy and controlled by money, but that we are, and we are not owned by anything but him. And so Abram gives 10%, a tithe, 
For those of you who don't understand, when it talks about a tenth, a tithe is 10%. He gives a tenth back to Melchizedek, the priest of God. See, so tithing is not solely built upon the law. But for those of you who want a law verse, Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30 says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. But get this, why? Because it is holy to the Lord. When I give... And this is the thing that I think we oftentimes get caught up in is when we give financially back to God, that is a holy thing. That is something that's set apart. It's giving back the first fruit. So I've learned to understand that. But listen to this, Malachi chapter 3. As a matter of fact, you can flip over there if you want. I'm going to read it to you, but Malachi chapter 3, the most famous verses when it comes to tithing. And I've, I've had discussions with all kinds of people, but listen to what he says. In verse 8, all right? Actually, I'm going to start in verse 7. It says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? And then God asks him this, will a man rob God? Question. Yet you rob me. And you ask, how do we rob you? And he says this, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, that's the whole 10%, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. When we give, what we're saying is we trust God, we're testing God to the fact that he can take our 10% and multiply it even more, and we're giving to him what is already rightfully his. When we give faithfully and obediently, we don't rob God. When we keep the money back from our, for ourselves, we are robbing God. And before you go too far, let me explain one more. Matthew chapter 23. I've had people say, well, there's nowhere in the Bible in the New Testament that talks about tithing. Let's look at Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now listen to what Jesus says. You should have practiced the latter. In other words, you should have practiced justice, mercy, and faithfulness all without neglecting the former. Do you hear what he just said? Jesus just referenced to say, you should give a tithe. But listen to me, if you give a tithe without justice and mercy and grace, if you give that without justice, mercy, and faithfulness, it's of no benefit to you. Why? Because money or giving money to God is not just about giving him money. It's about showing whose you are. What has your heart? And so when I give financially back to God, what I'm saying is, God, this first 10, and listen to me, I think this is the the key thing. The first 10, it's honoring God with our first fruits, is also showing God whose we are. Now, I know some of you are sitting there going, wait a second, you're telling me that I'm supposed to give 10% of my income? Yes. 10% of your income to the church. Now, before you start going, well, you just want it because you want to pad your pockets. Why would I teach my kids this? 
why would I give my kids my own money and teach them to tithe if I said it was just going to pad the pockets of the pastor? That's like stealing from myself to get back to myself. It just doesn't make sense, does it? Here's the reason why. Because it's a biblical principle. And here's the thing I also want you to understand. Do you realize this? You can completely disobey this, but I also want you to understand you'll never receive the blessing that God wants to give you. You can completely disobey. You can say, you know what, I'm not going to give 10%, especially not after pastor just told me. But I want you to understand this. This has nothing to do with me. God sees your checkbook. I don't. God knows what you make. I don't. You can ask Mike Moses. You can ask anybody on the financial team. I don't walk into a finance committee meeting and go, I want to know who's not tithing. I never do that. Matter of fact, you cannot, I don't know what you give. What I'm trying to get you to understand and what I think we all need to understand is that when we give, when we experience what God lays out before us, the biblical principles he lays out, we get to reap a blessing, maybe financial, maybe not, that we would have never done or received before because we didn't give. So how can we experience financial freedom? I believe it first comes through giving. Giving and serving God first is the first and biggest priority that God always lays out. Number two, how can we experience financial freedom? Number two, by not worrying about God's provisions. Listen to what he says again, all right? Matthew chapter six there, he laid that out and he says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And he lays out this beautiful story of what you can experience, what you can understand that God's going to look out for you, but what you have to do or what you have to see is that what you are running after or what you are chasing oftentimes will lead you down a dead-end road. That's why we chase things to try and keep up with the Joneses, is it not? It's like we chase after those things thinking that if we just get it, we'll all of a sudden be happy. But the problem is a lot of times we're not. The more stuff you get, the more you are like, wow, really, this just is not that happy. The more you earn, the more you make, the more you struggle with. See, I believe it's this, that we worry because we oftentimes think or, or overlook the fact that God knows. Listen to what it says in verse 32. For the pagans run after all of these things. Do we as believers run after the same things that unbelievers run after. I believe so. I believe we do. Now, here's the thing I also want you to understand. Some of those things are good things. A house, a car, a house debt-free, a car debt-free, things like those. Those are all good things. But I also know this. There are a lot of times that we chase after things we really don't need. I, I joke around, in 2028, that'll be the 75th anniversary for Corvette. And I've been joking about this for a long time. I'm like, 2028, I'm going to get a Z06 Corvette. The problem with it is, in my mind right now, I could not see ever cutting loose of that kind of money, even if I had it. Because right now, they're about eighty or $90,000 
right? Yeah, my wife shake her head. You're over my dead body. I'll be, you know, but, but I want you to understand this. Do I need a car? Yeah, I need to get to and from work. I've got jobs and things to do. Do I need an $80,000 car? Do I need a $100,000 car? Do I need, do you see what I'm saying? We start to go down this road and we begin to look. And I'm not trying to talk you out of getting good things. Look, I'm a person who likes to get good things. I want things that will last. But I'll also tell you this, there is no reason we should be operating in the same mindset that the world does. We're not normal. We should be unnormal. Matter of fact, Dave Ramsey says normal is broke. And we have to be different. Why? Because it says literally that for the pagans run after these things. But listen, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. How should our finances be different? We shouldn't be worried about what's going on. Why? Because God knows what we, listen, he knows what we, what? A little bit louder. Need. Oftentimes we get caught up in what? Once. We chase after the once that the world has, whether it's a bigger car, a bigger house, a boat, four wheelers, I mean, all kinds of those things. We begin to chase after those. And I want you to think about these three words, give, save, live, that I can begin to live like no one else. Why? Because everybody else is broke. I want to live not like everybody else. I don't want to be broke. I don't want to be strapped. I want to be financially free. I want to be able to do the things we want to do. I want to be able to go on mission trips. I want to be able to go to the people around the world and tell them what Jesus has done. I want to be able to help those who, are, who can't help themselves, who need a hand up. All of those things can come about not because you're rich, but because you're financially free. Financial freedom is something Jesus understood and wants us to understand because he knows what has our heart will lead us in the direction we're supposed to go or will lead us in the direction we're going to go, sorry. If he has your heart, you're going to follow him. If money has your heart, you're going to follow it. So I learn that I don't worry about God's provision. Why? Because God is going to provide. We have to be different. We have to be set apart. You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and getting the same results. Why do we do that with finances and then think things are going to change? 10% give. 10% save. If you have, a matter of fact, I'm even going to throw this out there. This is, this is just smart. If you have a matching fund at work, you should be maxing that sucker out. If they're giving you money, if your job is giving you money to put away for retirement, and they say, we'll match up to a certain percentage, you need to max that sucker out as much as you can. Why? They're giving you money. It's a gift. Not as good as Jesus' death on the cross, but that's free money. And last I checked, everybody likes free money, right? I give first, I save second, saving for the rainy day occasions, saving for the problems, saving for the difficulties, experiencing the financial freedom that God wants to do in and through my life. And the last thing, listen to what he says, the last thing I think we have to do, for, we talk about this give, save, live, is to live for God's kingdom. Look at verse 33, and listen to what he says. 
Seek first his, what? Kingdom and his righteousness. Here's the reality. When I seek the righteousness of God, which is only through Jesus Christ, when I put my faith and trust in Christ, then my first goal should always be to seek the kingdom in every aspect, whether it's financial, marital, physical, emotional, all of those things, I should be looking for the kingdom first in everything. So going back to that, that should mean that I seek first God's kingdom. The benefit of his kingdom is first. And then, listen, I seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be given to you as well. What he's saying is this, when you're obedient with what I have laid out before you with giving, and listen, you may be the person who says, you know what, I'm not going to save. Fine. Saving is a biblical principle, not necessarily to the extent of what we do oftentimes today, which may be classified more as hoarding. <laughs> well, to a certain extent. For some people who save, it might be hoarding. For others, you just don't save, all right? But when you give to the kingdom first, God says everything else will be taken care of. Everything that you need will be taken care of. And so the challenge is this. How can I seek his kingdom first in my finances? And I believe it's very simple when we talked about it, that I give on the first 10, I save the next 10, and I live on all of this. The reason most of us have a problem with this right here is because this is out of whack. And when this is out of whack, and this is out of line, and I'm not giving here, the 90% never seems to go as far as the 80% did before. And so maybe it looks something like this. Maybe, maybe you get on Pinterest and you can create jars. I don't know how you do it. We did envelopes. We still do envelopes with my kids. When I grew up, like I said, we had the envelope system is what we called it. And we do that. We teach our kids from this get-go. And here's the reason why. Number one, I don't ever want to be owned by my stuff. The reason why I believe God sets this up is because God's saying, what are you owned by? Who's your ruler? Who's your master? Because when money is my ruler and my master, the giving's gone. And I want my kids to understand that same thing, that they should be not owned. They should not be owned by what they own. See, financial freedom leads us to an ability to do what God wants to do. Listen to Proverbs chapter 3. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Have you ever noticed that there never seems to be enough? That the more you make, the more you spend? Have you ever noticed that Money can be a touchy subject or a touchy situation, and maybe you struggle with it. There's a great quote, and I think it's going to pop up here. Wayne Meyer says this, Money is an instrument that can buy everything but happiness. And it can pay your fare to everywhere but heaven. Money is a thing that can buy you everything but happiness, and it can pay your fare to everywhere but heaven. And the truth of the matter is, a lot of times we think, well, I'll live on the 90, and then I'll buy my way in later, maybe. 
But I want you to understand this, that when I give to God first, I seek his kingdom first. Why? Because I'm putting his kingdom in priority. I am putting God on the throne. I am making sure that I am not owned by what I own. And I let God have what is rightfully his already. And he's only asking for a portion. Remember last week we looked and we said we're just stewards of what God gave us. We are managers of the very things he has blessed us with. And so a manager, going back to our key statement today, a faithful manager must be obedient to what God wants us to do with what he has given us. So I want to challenge you this week. Because God's chief competition for your heart is money, possessions, the very things we own, I want to challenge you to start this. And maybe you just got paid and maybe you've already blown through everything. But I'm telling you right now that this is one of those things you have to begin to understand. That when I get paid, the top 10%, 10% of what I get paid should be set aside and placed for God. Now, let me also clarify one thing because my wife and I give to a number of things. We never rob from the church. If we decide to give more than 10%, like we do to World Vision, like we do supporting a child through World Vision, like we do with drilling well waters, like we do when we give to anything else, whether it's another church, if we give to somebody to help them go on a mission trip, that's not subtracted from this. Why? (laughs) Because I'm robbing. I'm telling God, oh God, you know what? I'm going to take this, I'm just going to kind of transfer it over. If you support another ministry, great, but that should not come out of this 10%. The local body, the church, should get your 10%. Now, hear me out, because I know somebody's going to say, well, you know, I'm not going back there ever again, or I'm just going to leave with a grudge. Listen to me with this part. My goal was not to beat you down and discourage you, but listen, to help you experience financial freedom. Guess what? When I give... I receive financial freedom by this, showing I'm not a slave to the things I own. When I save, I receive or I experience financial freedom by saying I am no longer a slave to the credit card company. I am no longer a slave to the tire shop that I got to pay. I am no longer a slave to the bank. I am no longer a slave to, to whoever it is, the car loan place, whatever it is. I am not a slave to them. I am financially free from that. And listen... When this, and this is right, I am financially free to, guess what, live. And here's what I find ironic. God basically says, you want freedom? I'm giving you 80%, really 90%, but I'm giving you 80% to do with whatever you want. You got the choice. You have the ability Make a wise decision. Be a wise steward. As a matter of fact, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about debt. What does the Bible say about debt? How should I function in a world that is built around debt? As a matter of fact, there's this false idea or this idea that my credit score has to be where? Credit score is just a credit, credit score, credit score, whatever. You need to be smart, all right? But a lot of people think, well, i got to do it this way or I'm not going to ever succeed. That's not true. 
If you're financially wise and you save, you can be successful. You can be financially free. How many of you want to be free from a house payment? How many of you want to be free from a car payment? How many of you think, man, I get this house paid off. You know how much money I'm going to have every month to go do whatever I want? It's being wise now. It's making a wise decision from the get-go. And I want to challenge you with this, that you begin to put this into practice. And as you put this into practice, watch and see how God works. And watch to see how Satan works. Because I guarantee you this is what's going to happen. The minute you commit to giving God his 10%, guess what's going to happen? Problems, struggles, difficulties, challenges. Because Satan's going to go, oh yeah? Watch this. And he's going to put you to the test. And look, don't get me wrong, when Sarah and I first got married, we still tithed. And I used this last time. We, we did a sermon series about a year and a half ago called Generous. Our first year of marriage, we made $18,000. We paid off $10,000 in school loans. And I've done the math. I, I, I can't explain it. All right? $18,000 we made, first year of marriage. Paid off $10,000 in school loans. So we wouldn't pay interest on the loans. I want you to hear me out. I, I'm, I'm a tightwad when it comes to those things. You're not getting any money. Every time, like we borrowed money in the past to buy furniture, and it's like two years, no interest, no payments. Yeah, no way. That sucker was paid off in a year. And they'd be like, oh, you didn't have to pay it. Oh, pfft. I'm not owing you money because I know how compound interest builds up. And all of a sudden, they drop this big bomb on you. No way. But our first year marriage, 18 grand, paid off $10,000. We lived off of everything, and we were still financially set. We gave to the church. As poor college students, wasn't much, but we gave our 10%. And I don't remember ever in my life, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't remember ever in my life that I have ever not given to God first. And I'm not trying to brag on me about that. What I'm trying to say is this. In the midst of doing this, I was able to experience financial freedom. And I don't know, I'm, I'm not, this is not even a brag session on me again, but I want you to understand that where we're at financially, we would have never been able to come to this church had we not been obedient to what God has called us to do. Why? Because we would have been slaves to debt. We don't have a car payment. We're not driving around even new cars. Both of our cars are over 10 years old. Oh, really, we got three cars, which hopefully we'll sell one soon. All right, but they're old. They all got 100,000 plus miles on it, all right? Not pulling up in a Beamer, not pulling up in a Mercedes, not pulling up a Corvette. Anybody want to donate? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> that just sounded bad. All right, I completely screwed up that whole sermon. But listen to me. When you're faithful with the small portion, God blesses the rest. God will multiply the rest, but you also have to understand that sometimes that multiplication may not be treasures here, but that multiplication may be the very fact that the treasures that you're going to receive in heaven because you see other people who have acknowledged Christ as their Savior, who have come to faith in Jesus through mission trips, through outreaches, and through everything else that a church is able to do and accomplish. That's the blessing that God promises when we're obedient and faithful what He wants to do from the beginning. So I want to challenge you with this, that you would practice the give first 
save second, live on the rest, because I believe you will experience true financial freedom, which is exactly what Jesus wants you to experience day in and day out, that you can seek his kingdom first and not be slave to money. Let's pray. Well, Father, I know that sometimes it can be a touchy subject, especially when you feel like somebody is asking for something from you. But God, I know that that's exactly what you're doing. You are asking us to show that we trust you, that we will follow you, that we will be obedient to you. And God, I thank you for the fact that Jesus' death on the cross purchased He bought, he redeemed my broken, sinful life. And that as a result of that, my faith and trust in Jesus Christ has put him on the throne of my life. And God, I know that your chief competition in my life, just as much as other people's life here, is money. Because oftentimes I do think, man, if I just had more, I think about what I could do. But God, you have called each one of us to be faithful with what you have given us. And God, I pray today that maybe there's somebody who has never experienced what it means to give. And to give a 10%, a true 10%, to sit down, to look, and to give that first and foremost so that you can provide for everything else. God, I pray that you would have your way, that God, we would show you in, in, in action And through obedience, who is sitting on our throne? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.